0: are in the God's Grammar series. If you remember last week, I extended the exclamation point. For those of you uh, that were missing, I thought it was too big of a topic to just take the bad and the good times that God uses exclamation point. And so we extended it. And for those of you that just need to get caught up on the series, uh, week one was don't put a period where God puts a comma, that God's not done. There's a lot going on. And God works with commas a lot, and he's the master of the run-on sentence. Last week, we looked at the exclamation point in bad ways, and for those of you that uh, missed it, um, some said they felt like they got a spiritual spanking, uh, but it was done in love, okay? And, uh, but it was just one of those ones where uh, I was really pleased with the church, too, there was a level of repentance. There was a level of humility of people saying, you know what, Lord, I, I want to come forward. Uh, all of the altars were filled, and it was just one of those moments where uh, getting reports from all of our campuses of people just saying, I want to be closer, God. I don't want you to pull up the exclamation point on the areas that we talked about, about being lukewarm or hypocrisy or pride or disobedience or even being a bad leader. And uh, ultimately, we summarized that of saying um, it, was, it was making it hard for people to connect with God. And we don't want to be that type of leader, leading someone into an authentic relationship and making it hard for them to worship God. So it was just a a great way to continue the series. And now we're looking at the good ways, the good ways that God uh, uses the exclamation point. And if if the thing is true that for every one negative, we need six good, that means I need 30 points today. Are you ready? No, we're going to go one for one, all right? One for one. And uh, there'll be five of them today. But I I just ask this, do you know what causes God to pull out the exclamation point in a good way? Do you know when you look at the Bible, can you look through here and say, these are obviously the ways and these are the things that make God happy. These are the things that he enjoys and and these are the things that if you will uh, pull out the exclamation point for him. And if you don't, I think we should. I think one of the things we should do is find out what makes God happy and then do that. I really do. I also think that we should find out if we're married, we should find out what makes our spouse happy and do that. We should find out what their love language is. How many have heard of love languages before? You know, and, and everybody's love language is different. There's, uh, for those of you who don't know, there's different things. There's words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch. And you can actually take a test online uh, at the site 5lovelanguages.com. And uh, you can find out what other people love. And I, I do think that's our responsibility. What excites them? What, what pulls out the exclamation point in their life? And uh, I thought about this with my wife. The thing that pulls out the exclamation point is uh, quality time together, uh, going out to dinner, especially when we're using a gift card. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that's like That's like her, they're like, that was the best meal ever because it was free. So there should be a category for that. All right. So I even try to figure out uh, our staff's love languages. You may not know that, but as a boss and as a leader, I try to figure out their love languages. I try to listen to what excites them and try to make that possible. And uh, even this weekend, I was able to give Pastor Ryan uh, tickets to the Twins versus the Tigers. And I knew he's a huge Tigers fan, had some tickets there, and I thought he'd enjoy it so much. So I said, how would you like to go? And his eyes lit up, and and he did backflip, and he wrote a song about it, and it was awesome. You know, so... It wasn't that good, but you get the point, all right. So let's take a look at the Bible, and let's see what excites God. What, what excites God? And the first thing I want to say, in Genesis chapter 1, I believe creation excites God. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, I'll just take a couple of scriptures here because the whole creation account, but in verses 9 and 10, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters. He called seas, and God saw that it was good, okay? And God saw that it was good. And as you read the creation account, you'll find out that we don't serve a God that is static and cold and mechanical. You'll find out that each day in creation account that something's created, he says, it's good. It's good. And I don't think he did it like, good. I think it's good. It's a good day. That's good, okay? And, and every part of this, and when you think about creation, everything within creation shows a little bit about God. It really does. Matter of fact, Psalm 19.1 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And I think that when God looks at creation, he says, it's good, and it brings out an exclamation point to me. And I want to just point this out. We are not like the Gnostics The Gnostics were a group that said uh, in the early church, they said the world is bad and all the physical things are bad. And if you're spiritual, you will try not to enjoy anything of this world. Now, there's the problem that we could go the other end. We say it's all about this world and it's all materialistic, and it's all about here and now, and it's not about eternity. But as a Christ follower, we want to make sure that we're not going too far that way. We want to make sure that we're not saying over this way too far, like everything on this earth is bad. I believe that God has given us all good things to enjoy, which is what the Bible says. And if God gets excited about his creation, we should too. And I think that there's some practical things that we could do to be excited about creation. I think that one of the ways that people can do it is to go out and get in nature. And if you want, you can camp. That's a good way. But if camping's not your thing, you could get a hotel near a camping site. Just saying. Dan, I'm just thinking of my wife here, just right here. But you get out in nature and you see it and it's an amazing thing. I know that when we went to Yellowstone. And uh, we rented one of those little cabins there in the park, and it was just amazing. We were walking around, and we came face-to-face with this elk. No kidding, it was like you know, 12 feet away, and it was just standing there, and we just kind of froze and didn't know what to do because we were like, don't kill us, you know. And it was just, it was, but just seeing the waterfalls and the things and nature, being out there, we, we saw more of God that way. And I thought, if God enjoys his creation, we should too. You can travel. And I love what my friend Mark Batterson He says, this is my theology of travel. This is what he says. He says, I honestly believe that each stamp in my passport is a form of stewardship. In recent years, travel has become a spiritual endeavor for me. It is one way I worship God. It is one way I study God. In a sense, I think travel done the right way is partial fulfillment of the Genesis Commission to fill the earth and subdue it. One of our primal callings is to experience and enjoy what God has created. The command in Genesis 1.28 is an invitation. It's an invitation to explore, to discover, to map, to study, to climb, to experience, to enjoy, to taste, to see, to hear, to adventure. And I think it's good. I think it's good. And I tell our staff, take a summer vacation. Use up, travel somewhere. Do this and enjoy what God has created. Another way to do that is to slow down and walk somewhere. You will enjoy God's creation you can hike, you can canoe, you can see the ocean, the mountains, you can see lakes, prairies, forests. Those are ways that you can enjoy creation. And, and think about this. The next time you go to a zoo, enjoy creation at the zoo. Enjoy creation. And as a as a family or as a group, just say, what do you think God was thinking when he created that? <laughs> you know, what was he thinking? You know? What mood does that express about God? And what creativity does that express about God? but we should enjoy creation because God does. And I want to point this out in the whole creation experience and the account of this, God pulls out what I would call the double exclamation point on humanity, on mankind. At that point, he pulls it out and he doesn't just say it's good. He says, it's very good. It's very good. So in a way, in a way, give me some latitude here. In a way, you're enjoying creation when you're people-watching. How many know what I'm talking about? (laughs) No, don't mock people. That's terrible people watching. I'm just saying enjoying how God has made everybody different. And you are enjoying creation when you give mankind the greatest privilege of your time and you share your faith with them and you honor them. Because if God says it's very good when he created man and he says it's very good, then the people around us are very good. Let's enjoy their company. Let's be in community with one another, and let's enjoy creation. I believe God pulls out the exclamation point on Jesus, on his son Jesus. I really believe that. I believe in Matthew chapter 3, this is the account of Jesus being baptized. And I just see this as a huge exclamation point. This is what it says. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That is an exclamation point. I mean, up until this point, God has sent his Son, Jesus, to this earth, and he had a major birth announcement. Okay, I got that. But since then, it's been quiet. And at this moment of baptism... God pulls out the audible voice. How many think that's an exclamation? I mean, he pulls out the audible voice and proclaims something that, that people could hear and that proclaimed who Jesus was. Now, you and I probably don't know this without study, but the Jewish culture would have known this that when God the Father was saying this statement, when he was saying, This is my beloved son, he was actually quoting Psalms chapter 2, verse 7. They'll throw it up on the screen. It says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Now the Jewish people understood that when this scripture, it was referring to the Messiah, the promised one, the deliverer, the one that was promised all the way since Genesis. And so they knew this scripture meant this person was the real guy. And so when God says this over Jesus, he's saying, he's the one. There's an exclamation point. He's the one, everybody. And all the people around there that would have heard that would have thought, that was Psalm chapter two, verse seven. That was Psalm two, seven. That that was this scripture from Psalm. They would have known that. And they would have known that Isaiah 42 is in whom I delight, also referring to the Messiah. And so in that statement that just seems so simple to us, God was putting his exclamation on Jesus. And he said, he's the one. I delight in him. I'm excited about this. He's the promised one. I delight in him. And saw Isaiah 42 carries all the way through Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And he was basically saying, he's the one. He's the deliverer. He's going to suffer. And if they would have been paying attention, they would have known what was coming right there. Major, major exclamation point, audible voice. And Jesus ought to excite us. Yeah. 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 Amen. Yeah. Yeah. How excited are we for Jesus? Think about it. I think the world has, has stolen away our excitement for Jesus, and they've tried to make us keep him under wraps. And I'm not advocating that we all get out, go out of here and go crazy, like, oh, Jesus, number one. I'm not advocating that, all right? But I'm just saying, shouldn't there be a little bit of joy in our life Shouldn't we light up when things talk about Jesus, when the conversation goes towards him? Shouldn't we be excited about, you know what, now that you said that, can I share the most exciting thing in my life? I, I, I don't want to be pushy, but let me share the most exciting thing in my life. This is about Jesus, this is and he changed my life, I, he's my Lord and Savior. Shouldn't we be excited about him? If God would break in on humanity and, and put an audible voice there and say, he's the one, there he is, this is it, he's the one, I'm well pleased, I think we ought to be excited too about Jesus. And, and let's just think about the way we talk about Jesus. and the, Let's just raise our level of excitement. Let's raise our, and again, I'm not talking about fanatical. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about back in the day, when I was young and I was going to church, and we used to sing a song, and I, it was two weeks in a row with songs, but uh, there was a get all excited, go tell everybody that, gee, how many remember that? Ten of us again. All right, all right. But it was like, we'd sing, get all excited, and then we'd be like, you know, and Father Abraham, it's amazing people came to our church. I don't even know. But I'm not advocating crazy, but I'm advocating excitement, passion, love, exclamation point when you say the name of Jesus when you talk about Jesus, that there's something there that people know that you are excited about God. God is excited, third, when people get it. When they get it. Um, If you're a teacher, if you've ever taught, and, and when people all of a sudden grasp the concept and they're with you and they're looking at you like, at first, like, deer in the headlight, like, I got no clue. And all of a sudden they're like, oh! And they get it. And then you're like, do you get it? And then they say it back to you, right? And you're like, you've got it, you've got it. And you get so excited when they get it, and they have the breakthrough moment, and it's there, and God gets excited when people get it. And in Luke chapter 7, there's a story about a centurion. Um, He was a, a convert to Judaism, to following the ways of God, and he has a servant that needs healing, and so he sends people for Jesus And in Luke chapter seven, this is what's happening. It says, so Jesus went with them, the people that he sent. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But you say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. It's something about it. When this guy gets it, he understands who Jesus is. He understands the authority that Jesus has. He understands his position. He's saying, if I'm asking for God to do this, and God has the authority over this, I just say it. He just says the word, and that has to go. He has authority. I get it. And Jesus is like, this is amazing. This guy gets it. That Guys, and he turns to the crowd. Do you see this? That's what I'm after. I love it when people get it. Another story, very similar in Matthew chapter 15. There's a Canaanite woman and she's trying to get a miracle for her daughter. And Jesus kind of gives her a little stiff arm. And in verse 24, Jesus answered, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. She throws her own exclamation point in there. She said, he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Look at that exclamation point right there. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus said, I love it. I love your faith. I love your tenacity. I love that you get it. I love that you know that I have the power to do this, and I love that you get it, that there's coming a day that you're going to be included Let's just move the time frame forward. I love it. I love it that you get it. Think about it. The Bible is full of God's promises. And so many of us read it and they, we go like this. Well, that's not for me. Probably not for me. I'm not sure if that one works. And we read the promises. and we Well, yeah, let's yeah, move on. Think about it. That's how many of us read the promises of God. We look at the promises of God, and yet God's looking for people that say, I get it. I know who you are. I know the authority that you have. I know that when you speak the word, it happens. I know that these promises are mine. I know that I want even the crumbs, Lord. I will have a tenacity to it. I will not quit. Let's stand on God's promises. Let the exclamation point of God fill our life because we believe his promises. This next one is similar to that one. God loves it when we go all in. God loves it when we go all in and we risk everything and we step out in faith and we go all in. God loves it. God loved it when the woman with the perfume breaks it and pours it out on him. And God loves the woman that gave all she had. In Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, And he looked up, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins, I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Okay? I want to make this point here. I use the term all in, and in no way am I advocating gambling. Okay, I'm not advocating gambling, but it's a term that is very popular now uh, because of gambling. Um, All throughout TV and, and in our culture right now, Texas Hold'em is a very popular game. They even have shows for people playing this poker game and gambling. And there's a moment in this uh, occurrence when people are playing that if they want to win, they'll say, All in. And they'll push everything to the middle and they'll say, All in. I'm betting everything on this hand. All in. And it's amazing. It's amazing that the whole crowd, Oh lean in. Oh, and the commentators, oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is amazing. Oh, he has a 67% chance. Oh, and, it, and the excitement's building because, and it's for cards. It's for cards. And they're like, oh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and all in. And they go crazy. Now thinking about this, Jesus says, this lady went all in. Everything she had went in. And he said, I love it. I'm paying attention now. I want to paint the scenario for you. Jesus was sitting in the court of women in the temple. There was a court where men and women could be, and when they were there in that area, there was an area for there for them to put money in, and there were thirteen trumpets. They were called trumpets. They were like collection uh, basins, if you will, and these thirteen trumpets would be there, and they could pay for the wood. They could pay for the sacrifices. They could pay for repairs. They could do general offering. See, so they even had like building funds and kingdom builders and all that stuff. Okay, so they had these 13 trumpets, and they could pick where they wanted the money to go. So Jesus is sitting there because you can watch people while they're putting their money in, and they were called the trumpets. Now, catch this. Jesus says, don't give like the sounding of the trumpets. you You know, that's what you're thinking. No, here's how they'd give. They'd walk over there, and they'd slam their money in the trumpet. So everybody would hear, like, oh, wow, that was a big old offering. And they'd slam dunk it in, and they'd sound the trumpet. Boom, boom, boom. And so all these people are walking by, boom, 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 with the trumpets making all this noise, walking in the temple, which they're supposed to be in humility, and instead they're making all this noise, sounding of the trumpets as they're slamming the money in. And this lady comes up with two coins that don't even make a sound. They don't even make a sound. And yet somehow Jesus sees this, Caesar put him in. That's all she's got. And they don't make a sound to everyone else in the crowd, but they make a sound to the person that really matters. And he's like, hey, 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 hey. The other people, sound of the trumpets, blowing, you know, throwing the money in. It's nothing. They, out of their wealth, gave. This lady gave everything she had. That lady got everything. She's on my list, in case you're wondering, of people I want to talk to in heaven. I just want to talk to her like, What happened after you did that? Because you can't get God's attention like that and him not take care of you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just wondering if she was like, on my way home, I found a bag of money, and then my lost sheep returned, and then I got married, and he was rich, and he took care of me forever, and I got to heaven. It was amazing. I mean, I don't know. I just want to talk to her. I have an active imagination. I just want to talk with her. Two things about that. The spirit of the gift, she was willing to give it. It wasn't unwilling. It wasn't forced. It wasn't like, you know, oh, I have to. She was really trusting God all in. And then the other thing that we got to think about with our giving is the, the sacrifice of the gift. Easy calculation does not impress God. God, I give you a little bit, and your gift may be gigantic, but it was so easy. It doesn't impress him. It doesn't impress him. For some, when we made that Mighty Men challenge of $5,000, man, you wrote the check out right then and there, threw it in. Others, it's like, how in the world will I do this? But the guy that gets the second job, that impresses God. I'm just going to say that. The guy that sacrificed, that impresses God. That's the men and women that sacrifice, that put God forth f- first and just say, uh, you know what? I sacrifice. I lay that down. I do this. There's a sacrifice to this gift. Uh, I do this. That impresses God because they go all in. I've had an opportunity to go all in multiple times in my life. I will tell you it's one of the most exciting things in the whole world. It's nerve-wracking, it's faith-building, it's exciting, but when you say, God, I trust you, I can tell you this, he always takes care of you, and that's why I want to meet that lady, because God loves all in. He pulls out the exclamation point on that. Last one, finding faith in him. Um, Luke 15 is the story about the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and it talks really about finding faith. And... um, Let me just explain this. Some people have called it salvation. Some have called it becoming a Christ follower. Some have called it being born again. Um, There's a lot of different terms you can call it, but what it means is that you've stopped what you're doing and living for yourself, and you recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you say, I'm going to start living for you now. I'm going to start living. I confess my sin. I realize you died on the cross. You rose again. You're my Lord and Savior. I live for you now, not for myself, and I realize that you're the one I'm living for. And in Luke chapter 15, we have the lost sheep. And this is interesting. I'm, I'm pondering this here. It's one of a hundred. Just, just track with me for a second. The lost sheep, it's one of a hundred. And the guy leaves 99 to get one. Then the next parable is a lost coin, one of 10. And the lady is going crazy because she's lost one of 10. And then in the prodigal son, it's one of two boys. And the father is, is just Intense about losing one of two, and there's something about this that God's saying there's something about when something's lost and then it's found and in the midst of all these stories, we have this verse in verse ten, but let me read verses eight through ten. It says, suppose a woman who has ten silver coins and loses one, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents." Right there. It's saying there's a party, there is rejoicing, whether the angels do it or who does it, we don't exactly know. It says in the presence of angels, whether it means they're all celebrating or the other angelic beings are celebrating or whatever. But when this is happening, something goes on in heaven and there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. So if that excites God and that pulls out his exclamation point, can I tell you this? We can be part of this several of these we can be part of but this one we can be actively involved in if you've never given your life to Jesus and you come to this moment of truth right now and at the end of this service you could say I want in the Bible says there's going to be rejoicing in heaven the exclamation points are coming out if you're here and you know Jesus and you bring someone to faith in Jesus the Bible says there's rejoicing why wouldn't you want to be out there bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ and having exclamation points going off in heaven. I mean, we can be part of this. And so it's so exciting to say, you know what, we, we can do this. We have a God that, that loves lost people. We have a God that is always thinking about them, whose eye is on them. And this would have blown the people's mind that were in that culture that a dad would love a prodigal, that a dad would run to a prodigal, and, and they're trying to get this picture of God, and, and, and that's the thought of the God that we serve right now. We serve a God that loves it when lost people get right with them. We serve a God that throws a party, if you will, and has the major exclamation when lost people come into a right relationship and are found in Jesus Christ. Man, these are, these are exciting things that God pulls out the exclamation point. So I hope today we will enjoy creation because if that pulls out the exclamation point, let's enjoy it. I pray that we'll get excited about Jesus. You know, when we talk about Jesus, let's have joy and excitement. I pray that we'll get it, that his promises, his authority, our standing in Christ, we will get it, and that will just bring an exclamation point out. I pray that we'll be all in, that we'll trust him, that we'll obey him in every area and go all in for him. And last, that we'll be found in faith, that we'll be found in faith, that we'll be Those that say, I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, and I want to bring out that exclamation point that causes heaven to rejoice, that causes something to happen when one sinner repents and comes home. And so here and at all of our campuses, I want us to bow our heads as we have an opportunity right now at here and at all of our campuses to give our life to Jesus Christ to make that final exclamation point be ours today.